0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Your Critically Acclaimed. My name is William Bibbiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My
1: name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic, and uh, I am also Your Critically Acclaimed.
0: Yeah. Uh, this is a podcast, here, Critically Acclaimed, uh, where our patrons over patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network have the power to sponsor an episode of their choice. Uh, the people who are, are signed up at our upper echelon tiers, uh, this is one of the perks that they have. And so we get to uh, review whatever movie you want us to do. Sometimes they want us to do an episode of Cancel Too Soon. Our most recent episode of Cancel Too Soon uh, in Anime Month was also an episode of your Critically Acclaimed. Um, and uh, this time we're doing an episode for Douglas Brackett, who wanted, since this whole summer's movie season was canceled both myself and Whitney to draft our ideal summer blockbuster movie lineup pretty much now that's kind of there's a lot of leeway in there um and we both kind of approach this slightly differently mm-hmm. i think we both are going with uh older movies this is basically our idea of coming up with a big summer blockbuster movie marathon
1: yeah we're and, we're uh we get to choose the uh Choose the land. We get to curate an entire summer season.
0: Yeah, and but um, I so the way I did this, and I know Whitney did it slightly differently, mm-hmm. was I was like, okay, I'm gonna we're gonna limit ourselves to ten movies because we don't want to have like five movies opening per weekend. We'd be here all week, mm-hmm. so we're doing for I'm, so we picked ten movies, and I decided that we would go or I would go two movies for May, four movies for June, four movies for July, and in order to draft that list. What I did was I looked at all of the summer blockbusters that have ever opened in May mm. and I picked two of those for May. And, oh, and then okay. I looked through all the summer blockbusters that ever opened in June and I picked four of those for June and I picked and I did the same thing for July and I picked four for July. Mm. August is, you know, for most of my life August was barely part of the summer movie season. It was like the the fall off period,
1: the the tail end when the like, yeah. the, the real bad ones sort of could stumble in.
0: So I decided I probably could have done like one August movie and maybe only one May movie, but I made my decision early on and I decided right. to stick with it. So there won't be an August in my list. Whitney did a little differently.
1: Uh, yeah, my approach was: what do I want summer to look like? Because I don't like summer blockbuster season. Never have. Mm. Never really flocked to. Like I saw the big action films sort of out of this kind of cultural obligation. All of my friends were going to see them, so I just watched them with friends, and I enjoyed myself. Mm. I saw Face Off three times. Of course I did. <laughs> do, do I love Face Off? Sure. Is it corny and dumb? Yeah. Yeah. Almost is there a, made my list. Is there, there a lot, is there a lot of wonderful overacting? You bet. Oh, yeah. Totally. Tr- Nicolas Cage from two angles in that one, because he's also John Travolta. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's a real movie. That's a great movie. It's, it's a John Woo film. It's really, really great. That Up until a, that stupid boat chase at the end. It was
0: originally designed to be a movie starring Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, in which they would trade places with each other.
1: But they're not—they're not nuanced enough actors to do that. No,
0: they, I think I think we got the best version of that movie we could have possibly gotten.
1: Yeah, but um, Nicholas Cage and John Travolta both at the height of their powers, I would argue. Well, Nicholas Cage is still great, but yeah, well, John, John Travolta comes and goes.
0: We've uh, so, uh, rise
1: and fall and rise. So, in
0: some respects this is kind of a list episode. This is not, for the record, our list of the best summer blockbusters ever. No. No, that is a different list. What we think this is what I the way I did mine was mm. I thought this would be a really fun progression of summer blockbusters. Some were bigger hits than others, but all of them were intended to be big hits yeah. in the summer season. Uh, and for me, there's kind of a nice flow here. And because yeah. we're kind of going with a marathon or a film festival mentality, we're going with the flow, I'm going to propose that we do this podcast a little differently than normal, because usually we do one film a piece.
1: Yeah I think we should alternate, do.: yeah. I think
0: we should do one whole marathon and then one whole marathon.
1: All right. Sounds good. So uh, which one do you want to go first? Or second? I'll, I'll go first because mine is going to suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yours are going to be the more popular choices. We'll make the listeners stick around They're, for your, are, your good list. They are and, at least
0: blockbusters or would be blockbusters, right? You um, didn't put like, you know, maybe, movies that made no money whatsoever because that's a different entity, right?
1: Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. You'll just have to wait. and see. see. Look, uh I, you know, I, I was a teenager in the 1990s. There were a lot of different kinds of films that became blockbusters during that time. And uh, you some know, of the films so,
0: on my list are not conventional blockbusters. Yeah, romantic, but they were blockbusters. romantic
1: comedies and legal thrillers were gigantic. You know, serial killer movies were gigantic money uh, in, when I was growing up. So. Yeah. What we think of as the blockbuster season has just come to mean Disney-owned action properties. Yeah, but if you actually, and when like, you, and when you talk looking... about uh, you know summer movies, people tend to mean a f- big budget, effects-driven uh, franchise action, action films. films. Like franchise films. Yeah. That's what it means now. Uh, it that's not what it always meant. Yeah, and pick, pick
0: like any random summer from um, like the '80s through the '90s. The summer blockbuster season was full of like original films yeah, and films yeah. that weren't connected to major franchises, and they
1: all did real well. A lot of them did real well. There's no guarantee, but like, there was a time when a film like Crocodile Dundee could be a huge hit, yeah. or, or Coming to America, or Three Men and a Baby, still highest-grossing film of 1987. Uh, yeah, I'm not kidding about that. Look and it up. Big
0: movies opened that year too. That movie was a monster.
1: Yeah, yeah. Three Men and a Baby was the big, yeah. the big one. Mrs. Doubtfire was the mm-hmm. second highest-earning film, right under Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, of 1993, so. I wanted to come at Summer with a much more varied approach. I wanted, you know, a, a few good standby action tentpoles mm. from throughout history, some very modern, some very old, uh, but all all of them a uh, different flavor. Great. I wanted a good cross-section, a good sampling of a lot of different kinds of movies from all over the world.
0: I expect that if you ask the same Mm. question of people who were younger than us, who grew Mm. up when summer blockbuster season was more franchise-driven, you would have more franchise movies. But I actually made a point on my list. I had, um, Mm. uh, I decided that there will only, I would only pick one film per director. It would be easy to put so many Spielberg movies on this list. Right. You know? Uh, I decided to put only one film per franchise. Okay. So I can't put, like, more than one you know Star Wars movie on there I can't put more than one you know Marvel movie On right. there I also decided that I would Only put one proper superhero movie on there
1: <laughs> Alright the
0: superhero movies I think are part Of the summer blockbuster you don't want them to be overrepresented for... anywhere, No no either. you definitely don't. I wanted to keep This pretty varied I also tried To make sure there was only one film Per lead performer Oh, okay, so, so there wouldn't um, be a bunch like, of Schwarzenegger movies, so all there wouldn't right. be a, you know like because it would have been really easy to do that. So I, I, do I wanted have, to keep uh, it varied on purpose.
1: I do have one uh, well-known like action superstar, mm-hmm. and I do have uh, one well-known action director in my list. Okay. The rest are all pretty scattered.
0: Okay. Um, well, I look forward to finding. And, and in out.
1: fact, uh, if if we're in May and we're kicking off the summer blockbuster season, I want to bring back a film that was a really. Quirker of an action blockbuster just recently that was overlooked and is unfairly pilloried, and that is Roland Emmerich's White House Down. Oh, bless uh, you. Why couldn't we make room yeah. for this? Okay, I could have put Die Hard on here, but Die Hard in the White House was just so much more appealing. There's a, a little bit more of this pulpy thrill to White House Down, and I want to give it some representation. So bring back White House Down, mm-hmm. re release it with a big fanfare. Announced to the people that this one was good. It really was. And yeah. It- uh, yeah, it, it, I think it. Re- if you
0: missed it, it's 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 literally it's Die Hard in the White House. Channing Tatum plays a prospective Secret Service agent uh, who actually gets turned down for his job interview, but he happens to be in the White House with his daughter when, when terrorists, uh, the terrorists take, take over. over,
1: and they have to, he has to protect Barack Obama, who's played by, played by Jamie Fox. Yeah, he's not really Barack Obama, but he is. He's very
0: specifically uh, inspired by him, yeah. and it's this crazy, over the top liberal fantasy about mm-hmm. how like liberal, po- like they declare world peace at the end as an mm-hmm. after because gay liberal politics, it's like hilarious.
1: Like Die Hard, though, it has a really tight screenplay, which yeah. I really appreciate. There's little tiny things that are introduced at the beginning that actually come into play in like important plot elements later on. The fact that Joey King, uh, Channing Tatum's daughter... Uh, is really miffed at him at the beginning of the movie because he missed her flag waving routine in high school. It comes really into important. play at the in the climax of the movie, and it is epic. <laughs> the action is really over the top and clean and, they're, they're and well doing presented. Don- and they're doing donuts on the lawn of the White House. I yeah. just this film filled me with so much joy yeah. when I watched it. I was baffled that it was not a big hit. I, it,
0: it was. I think it wasn't a big hit. I think it didn't make a splash because Olympus had fallen. It come out first, and it like kind of had kind of yeah. taken the edge off of the concept and olympus has fallen did pretty well but mm. olympus has fallen is like the, the steven the really, seagal version
1: it's the really crappy version it's, well, it's muddy if, it's indistinct gerard butler is not an appealing I, leading man. i don't know if the first one i would call
0: crappy yeah. but it is definitely less ambitious and kind of meaner mm-hmm. white house down is the big summer blockbuster version yeah. and i like it
1: a lot it's, it's bright it's crisp it, it you know, roland emmerich he knows how to shoot those action sequences that's the White House Down was the way I opened, uh, opened May. That's you open May. how I opened the
0: summer. It's your oh, Memorial Day, uh, your yeah. Memorial Day opening. Yeah, so
1: the, you know, big, big patriotic thing. Uh, why not follow that up a few weeks later uh, with a, a little bit another action blockbuster, but a little bit more serious, a little bit more dour, a little bit more character driven, mm-hmm. something you can actually get the feels over. Why not go straight to Seven Samurai? Yeah, a as bit, a, a summer blockbuster? Summer blo- yeah, it's, an action, it's a big action movie. Did it movie. come out in the summer? I don't know. <laughs> it, you didn't consider that
0: to be kind of an issue? I considered, mm. I made sure everything on my list was a
1: summer movie. Well, that's your issue, isn't it? Right. I, I wanted to construct I thought, my I thought that was, in, a, thought that was intrinsic no, to the premise I, I of the I am, I am constructing right. my ideal summer blockbuster season, and okay. I want Samurai to be considered as an action blockbuster whenever it was released. I agree it should be mm.
0: considered an action blockbuster. I agree mm. it is not only one of the best but most influential action movies of mm. all time. I'm just not 100% sure it came out in the summer. I I
1: don't, again, I don't care if it came out in the summer. I do, I (laughs) thought that was the prompt, I thought that was important. (laughs) But anyway, no, go on. The, these are these are all films that I want to be considered as part of a summer blockbuster season. Uh, I think it's no part matter of the what tradition, country. at the very
0: least. Yeah, yeah. Um, but i yeah, look so, up when the stamp thing
1: came out. Yeah, well, I, yeah, and Maybe it came out in the summer in Japan, but not in America. If, say, listen, um, if it
0: came out in the summer at all, I will stop. I will stop. Yeah, making well, yeah.
1: Look, it. look up like because it was released internationally. Surely, in one country, it was released in the summer. Okay. Yeah, Summer, uh, Seven Samurai. It is a big action blockbuster, but it's also a very kind of s- serious drama. It's very heartfelt, it's very character driven. Uh, a lot of it is very down uh, downbeat. And I feel like we need a, an action blockbuster that is fun and junky, but we can also need like a little bit more of a serious action blockbuster. Uh the 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 the, the It was released in mm-hmm. the United States. Uh-huh. In
0: Los Angeles, California, okay, on July third, nineteen fifty-six. It was, but it wasn't released elsewhere until November. But mm-hmm. that doesn't matter. Independence Day weekend. It's an
1: Independence Day weekend release. You you'd, squeak by on this. You, you'd you'd see this like in, in in mid-May, wouldn't you? Like a big samurai epic. Oh, it's a, a lot huge of samurai epic. In it. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of action in it, but it's also a, a cinema classic, and yeah. I want to p- make sure we can think of something like Seven Samurai as big action entertainment as well.
0: And it kind of invented the action movie as we know it in some it, regards. They hold yeah. men on a mission angle where you have to assemble a team of specialists in order to do like one badass yeah, so. thing, and uh, it invented a lot of the ways that we use sort of action storytelling, like intercutting between slow mo and regular motion yeah. in order to build suspense. That was something that stems from Seven Samurai. Yeah.
1: It's a lot of cool stuff. So, uh, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm modulating. So we start with big action junk. Heavy action. It would be going like from a Marvel film to like a Christopher Nolan film, sure. for instance. Both yeah. both action blockbusters, but one that's considered a little bit more, quote, serious. A different flavor. Yeah. Um, I also wanted a good uh, rousing sports movie. Mm. Because big sports movies are great. Uh, yeah. Great summer fair. Everybody likes to see an underdog story. One of the ultimate sports movies... I mean, you gotta have everything in it, right? You gotta have the underdog story, you gotta have a hero, you gotta have a lot at stake, you gotta have a big long sequence where they're just playing the game, you have to have a sneering villain, you have to have a love interest, and why not throw in a bunch of songs as well? Uh, so I chose a Bollywood film. Oh, uh, that's cool. Because Bollywood. All, all Bollywood films I've seen would make perfect action fair because they want to throw everything in a Bollywood film. They got to throw in every single element that can go into a movie. In every movie, you got to make it really long. You got to make it a musical. Make sure everybody's getting their goddamn money's worth. I chose Lagan which is about a cricket match, and it was nominated for Best Foreign Picture when it came, uh, Best Foreign Film at the Academy Awards when it came out. Okay, I actually never saw this one. Oh yeah, it's it's about a cricket match. Okay. Uh, it's it's about Lagan means tax, and uh, the local. Uh, Mean British occupiers in occupied India uh, have gone to this uh, impoverished village who have said, uh, we're we're collecting taxes from you now. We need all the money you got. And they're so impoverished, they can't afford this year's taxes. So some brash dickhead from the village steps forward ahead of everybody and says, I'll tell you what, I know cricket we will challenge your British. You can choose a British team and we'll challenge them to cricket. And if we win, we don't have to pay taxes. And the, the Britch says, hmm, that's actually interesting. You know what? If you win, you don't have to pay taxes ever again. But if we win, you owe like eight times as much tax. And then he's like, Oh well shit. Turns out they don't know anything about cricket. I gotta learn and they <laughs> so gotta, gotta the learn a space jam. Yeah, they gotta learn real fast. <laughs> And they end up like, oh, and, and it turns out, you know, one guy, it turns out he's really good at pitching a cricket ball, and one guy, uh, he's an untouchable, you know, there's this cast system that they have to sort of get over, but he's a really good cricket player, so I have to bring him on the, the, yeah. the and it's, you know, it's four hours long, it's got songs, it's, everybody gets a love interest, it's epic, it's the biggest, most epic sports movie I've ever seen. Oh. Get Shit. a get a big, huge four-hour sports epic in the middle of the summer season. I got to see Why this. not? Lagan is great. L-A-G-A-A-N. It's really, really wonderful.
0: No, thank you for reminding yeah. me that I, have, I haven't I thought about this in a while. I really okay. need to see that movie. Okay. Thank you.
1: All right. Uh, let's slow it down. We have seven Samurai. Scale we had, it back. We had, we had Lagan. Scale it back. Uh, I grew up in an era when John Grisham was really big. Okay. Legal courthouse dramas were really, really big. Mm-hmm. Uh, talky, thinking about the law, get a bunch of celebrities in a room together, and watch 12 Angry Men. Uh, as a Metz summer film. blockbuster as uh, yeah absolutely because uh, uh, heady dramas were once big business okay again this is S- these summer are, block this is, These are this our is, lists. We make my, them up. This is my list. This is what I want a summer blockbuster to look like. I assure you, if
0: you're interested in something more conventional, that's the route I went because I I'm, thought that was the prompt.
1: I know, which is that's what you did. The, which is why I did the route okay. I went.
0: Okay, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I'm so predictable.
1: Twelve Angry Men has twelve actors and one setting, and they're just talking about the case that they just heard, and they're talking about the details and why they are uh, electing to uh, put the young man in question. Essentially to death for committing murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, only one person thinks he didn't do it. All the other 11 jurors think he did do it. Mm-hmm. By the end, the one juror has convinced everybody by careful deliberation. It's just discussion, it's just talk. Right. No action. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really appealing because you understand the process and you understand all of the characters. Now the characters have names, but in Sidney Lumet's version, and there have been other renditions as well, they're all played by big celebrities. Uh, juror number eight, the one who uh, – the, the one center is played by Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm.
0: You got Lee J. Cobb uh, Yeah, Lee, in there. Lee J.
1: Cobb is essentially the, the antagonist. He's the last one to turn at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to not to spoil that movie, but you can tell where, where it's going. Yeah. But yeah, you have other like kind of recognizable actors like uh, John Fielder and Jack like, Warden. Jack, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, uh, and Martin Balsam. Martin Balsam plays Jack the foreman. Klugman. Yeah, gotta love dudes. A, gotta love a Klugman. It yeah. It's a, it's you know a, a bunch of sweaty white dudes in a hot room and those really really uncomfortable fifties looking shirts, <laughs> uh, just sort of sweating through these things. You know that those men are uncomfortable. Yeah. But that's part of the movie. That's part it, of the drama. It came and, out in uh,
0: June in Australia. Uh,
1: Okay, so so, so I, it works. Sidney <laughs> <laughs> so Lumet's 12 Angry Men. That's the legal thrill. I could have gone with The Time to Kill or The Firm. but that's where you are going to go for a second, but it's fine. But, you it's know, fine. why not go for one of the ultimate courtroom dramas? And I think right. that's 12 Angry Men. That's fair. Uh, okay, let's lighten it up again now that we've brought it down again. Yeah. We need another junkie action blockbuster. One of my favorite junkie action blockbusters from the martial arts angle was Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx. Okay. Rumble in the Bronx was uh formative to me because like many people this was my introduction to Jackie Chan. Uh yeah. Jackie Chan was of course a worldwide superstar uh but he wasn't really big in the states until this crossover hit uh Rumble in the Bronx which took place in it was it was shot in China but it was uh, it took place in America. Mm. Uh it was dubbed and it was this new way of uh, just introducing ourselves to Jackie Chan. And I think he does amazing stunts in this movie. He, does. he did his own stunts. He did his own fight stuff. Well, but that's what Jackie Chan is
0: all about. That's what he was known
1: for. Yeah. This was a big way of doing it, but it's... It's impressive uh, stunt work, of course, but I feel like the film almost was deliberately a little bit shabby mm. to not distract from the stunts. No, no that's what Jackie made, Chan's they made, all about. Yeah, they made the movie as threadbare as possible so it could just be a highlight for the stunt, stunt work.
0: Yeah, Jackie Chan is a kung fu... Mm. Uh, He's he's a a kung fu superstar uh, And when he finally got to Became like a big big star And got to drive his own material He gravitated towards kung fu comedies A genre he functionally invented Mm. And The way that he presents them Is in a very old school Hollywood Silent comedy slash musical kind of way, and he knows when to just get out of the way of the stunts and let the stunts drive the story, Mm -hmm. and he also knows when to build the story around big stunts and amazing martial arts action sequences. Hmm. Rumble in the Bronx is very formative for a lot of people. For me, the big big movie was Legend of the Drunken Master, which I think is a better
1: film, but But this is awesome. You're a little bit more worldly when it comes to kung fu cinema. Fair enough, Um,
0: but Rumble in the Bronx is still very, very fun.
1: Yeah, and It's it's more personal because I just personally love Rumble in the Bronx. I think it it functioned really well when it came out in 1995 and I think it would play just as well. Now it's like the sort of middle of the summer kind of big, uh, action distraction. Sure. Uh, by the way, I kind of want
0: that to be like a series, like, uh, like you know, uh, join us tonight at 8 o'clock on WGN, where sure. William Bibiani and Whitney Seibold host Action <laughs> Distraction.
1: <laughs> Middle of the Road, kind of forgotten action movies. Yeah, Chill Factor. <laughs> Chill Factor is actually kind of a shitty film. Patrick Swayze stars in Black Dog, <laughs> where he's a trucker for some reason. And meatloaf is in it. <laughs> Keanu Reeves was in Chain Reaction. Can you name any of the other actors? Rachel Probably Weiss. not. Rachel Weisz and Morgan Freeman. Oh, f- fuck you! Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't count. Your that was critic. supposed to be a big deal. That movie <laughs> when that movie came out. Was it from the director of The
1: Fugitive? It was. Yeah. Was, was Andrew it Andrew Davis? It was a completely forgettable movie. It was. <laughs> it's, about cold, it's about Cold Fusion, which was also the plot of The Saint.
0: I also just remember there there was a big action sequence on a hydrofoil. <laughs> they thought that was going to be the big awesome showstopper. I, yeah,
1: I saw that movie. It's gone. Yeah. It's out of my brain. It's like a it main, they <laughs> found a way to turn
0: water into energy. That was the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Cheap, clean, unlimited energy. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Like, that was this whole thing Morgan, Morgan Freeman says that it, it must be true. Anyway, what's your next pick? Next, uh,
1: next pick, Um, I gotta have at least one horror movie on there. Cheap and abundant energy. That was the Cheap and abundant, <laughs> oh my God. Stop quoting chain reaction.
0: <laughs> Stop telling me I don't remember <laughs> movies.
1: I'm sorry. Okay, you're you're you are a professional film critic. Yes, I am. You sorry, have yes. a steel trap mind. I do. I forgive I, you for remembering Shane reaction. I
0: wasted on a lot of yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's your next film?
1: My next film, <laughs> you're gonna love this. Oh no! My next film was Basket Case Two. Uh, you gotta Come have on, a, gotta have a, right. gotta have a franchise film in there, right? This, sure. is, the first, this is the first sequel I've got in there uh, by okay. a no- notable uh, horror.
0: Uh, what about Eleven Angry Men? Pardon? There was a there were eleven angry men before twelve angry men. No,
1: there weren't. Stop making stuff up. That's not something you remember. <laughs> okay, fine, but there was okay. a sixth samurai. There was a thirteen assassins Takashi Miike film that is go. reminiscent of Seven Samurai. Hmm. Uh, Basket Case Two. Yeah. As, if, if I'm going to put a horror film right in the middle of the summer, there and there, this has happened like Conjuring and the, a lot of the Friday the Thirteenth films were summer releases. Uh, they didn't, even some of the Halloween films or some releases, which baffled me. It's mm. called Halloween. or released it around Halloween, for God's Dude, sake. Dude, Hocus
0: Pocus came out in July.
1: Yeah. so What? A, a lot of
0: big sort of... I guess they figured gonna be on home <sighs> video by October, but yeah. weird. Now,
1: I understand that there's a certain kind of horror film that does well in the summer. Uh, films that are just sort of... A uh, good jump jump out of your seat, jump scare kind of yeah. uh, carnival ride. They don't have to be
0: expensive, movies. they just have to feel like this is a really good time to go out to go movies. Yeah, yes.
1: something so you can dump into jump into your date's arms and the make and, Yeah, and make yeah. out with them. Uh I chose basket case too because it's crazy. Because it's uh it's it's a weird melody. It's a weird Frank Hannon Lauderate, it, uh it, It takes place immediately after the events of Basket Case, even though it was made eight years later. If you've never seen Uh, Basket
0: Case, it's about a boy and mm, uh, his—he was conjoined twin. He had a conjoined twin that was uh, malformed and also psychic and evil. And when Mm. they cut the twin off, he managed to rescue it and put it in a picnic basket. And he's been carrying it around with him and fighting and finding the doctors that performed the illegal surgery to separate them against their will. Mm. And he's been just like leaving the basket there, and then the creature in the basket goes
1: "Ah," and kills them and it's really scuzzy it's oh it's unbelievable these I mean Frank Lauder he, this is the director of Frankenhooker. Hooker you know he's yeah. he's not 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 subtle or classy he's a good sleazy filmmaker I love the films of Frank Lauder uh, did you ever see bad biology no I know I hear that one's good it's got, it got so, so, so much weird sex stuff in that movie just look up the premise I'm not gonna say what it is but look up the premise of bad okay. biology but basket case 2 it, it's almost like gremlins 2 it's like a live-action cartoon just with a lot of, well, like, freaks and violence in Well,
0: because it. the first one was kind of grounded. It was a real horror movie. And then well, the, the second one, they went nuts and got really creative. Yeah, it
1: was it was a guerrilla film. They shot it on a really low budget in the streets of New York. Yeah, uh, yeah Frank, Frank Heneloner clearly didn't have, uh, like, permits to shoot at some of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just had the one special effects. They had Belial, mm-hmm. the, the conjoined twin. Uh, yeah, Basket Case 2 introduces us to... Uh, a home for big, rubbery, weird-looking freak monsters. Yeah, but who, who they're all nice. Yeah, who live nicely yeah, we, we and in peace and We use that term with affection yeah.
0: because the movie kind of goes there, but, mm. like, they're all, like, it's this old lady, and she owns this yeah. home where if you are the kind of person who, mm. you know, would cause a scene it's if great, you were out Grant, of public... Granny
1: not, Ruth, played by Annie Ross. And
0: we're not talking about, like, anything you would see in real life. We're talking about absolutely amazing makeup creations. Oh, yes. We're talking about stuff that was like, we couldn't put it in Star Wars because it was too scary.
1: It, it was, yeah, too, just too weird looking. And yeah. some, somebody's going like, overdrive, trying to come up with these creative makeup effects. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and it's it's peaceful. It's very, very strange. Uh, Belial has a love interest. Yeah. Belial's just like a little lump of flesh with an arm and a face. You yeah, know, but the
0: idea is that they've actually found a home mm-hmm. and then unfortunately it looks like that home might be threatened and they have to turn Turn All of these people who are these peace-loving, sort of isolated, mm-hmm. you know, sort of family, and uh, they it's actually have to warriors, go on the offensive, yeah. and it's really it's, good. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really dark, really it's, dark it's, it's and really good, and, uh, and,
1: and, of, and yeah. of course the, the main character, uh, played by Kevin Van Hengenrich, Uh, he begins to resent that Belial has finally found a home without him. Yeah. And that starts to drive him a little bit crazy.
0: Yeah, because his whole thing was, yeah, in the first film, he wanted and had an opportunity for a semi-normal relationship, Mm. and Belial ruined it really horrifically. And now Belial has an opportunity for happiness, and he doesn't. Mm. And he starts having weird, resentful feelings. It's one of the better horror sequels in that it actually, like, follows the characters like desires and motivations and a really natural flow yeah. as opposed to just what if the killer struck again like that can work too but basket case 2 is actually kind of a more creative sequel than a lot of other horror sequels yeah i like it, it,
1: it a lot it came out the same year as gremlins 2 it has the same vibe as gremlins 2 but it's far more edgy sleazy strange and violent uh, and and it, it has this really sick sick ending. Yeah. There was a Basket Case three. It was made on a much lower budget. You, they tried. I never to, saw Basket they tried Case to re- bring the the same freak characters back in Basket Case three, but they had like a lower makeup budget, so mm. they didn't look as good. And uh, but it follows the the story about Belial having children, and it's just really kind of a strange mm. flick. All right, moving but, on. Uh, then. Uh, I haven't had a science fiction film yet. I mean, I guess you could count White House Town as, as a science fiction, eh, really. but you know, a proper science spacefaring adventure. Uh, and I wanted to, after something crazy like Basket Case Two, knock back into class a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm going straight for 2001: A Space Odyssey. Okay, a huge! I'm one of the biggest earners of 1968. Oh, was well, a uh, blockbuster. It's yeah. By my estimation, one of the best films ever made. Yeah, it's uh, up there. Like one of the top ten films of all time. Kind of, kind of stuff.
0: But whereas most uh, sci-fi yeah. movies that we see in our big blockbusters are about action and laser battles and energy swords, 2001 is about mankind's place in the universe. Man, yeah. but it's mind blowing. It's sure as hell. You no, know, it's an amazing motion picture. Yeah. I just, it's not the the kinds of movies that used to become blockbusters like on the regular. Are the kinds of movies that now would like some maybe even have trouble finding a home at Netflix? Like, it's just, mm. it would not be the kind of movie that would have a huge push yeah, at yeah. the box office. Like, 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 2001 I, would be a hard sell right now. Like, unless I could maybe see uh, like A24, Denis yeah. like Denis Villeneuve or Christopher Nolan could get the proper budget for 2001 now. Yeah. I don't think anyone else could.
1: I think yeah, th- those two in particular. Yeah, basically, I think Maybe.
0: even Spielberg would st- would would struggle with it because mm. it would just be like that's not what we want from you, Steven. Mm. You know, but like, like they figured the- that the Denis Villeneuve and Chris Nolan audiences might flock. So.
1: I, I do like that Steven Spielberg. He's doing like one for me, one for you right now. Yeah, it's like okay, okay, I'll do Ready Player One. I don't care about Ready Player One. It's clear when I make it. Yeah, you can tell on the screen that I don't care about Ready Player One, but I get to do the post. Yeah, and the post turns out to be. I would argue one of the most important films of the trump era,
0: um, certainly one of the most like, like you know on the nose films mm-hmm. but and then and then, of course he's doing West Side Story
1: yeah. Okay. Which is not for him. He's I, not I, He's not doing that for
0: him. I, I doubt it. I'm fascinated to see what he does with like, it. Like, Br- like yeah. Bridge of
1: Spies. That's what he's interested in. Yeah,
0: um, he considers himself a historian. But yeah, I,
1: I really, really dig 2001. I don't need to talk about it much. I do want to say, it's, though, it's that... It's epic.
0: If you've never seen it on a big screen, I know it's not an option mm-hmm. right now. If you ever get a chance to see 2001 on a big screen, that's what it is that, fucking made for. Made it, for. A- it wasn't... Mind-blowing on the big screen. It
1: wasn't shot on seventy, but it's been blown up onto seventy millimeter yeah. film, and it looks great on seventy. Because mm-hmm. I've seen it that way. If you can see a seventy millimeter print, please do. Um, I like to think. Uh, do you remember the year uh, the Matrix came out, and then Existence also came out? The David Cronenberg yeah. film. Those are both two back-to-back vir- yeah. virtual reality films that came out really close to each other. And. The Matrix was the one that was, like, sort of the big hit. It was the one all the fanboys were talking about. It felt like an action movie. But then some of the hipsters were back there stroking their chimps saying, you know, existence was better. I like to think that this is the summer blockbuster season where I can release 2001 A Space Odyssey and Fantastic Planet on the same day. Uh, and I was like, oh yeah, F- 2001, it's so great. Yeah, but Fantastic Planet, man. This little French animated film, that's the one you want
0: to see. The one I, the one I love, though, is that there was... there's And I knew some people who were doing this. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of people like, yeah, The Matrix, that's the most amazing fucking movie mm-hmm. in 1999. I don't know, man. I saw Stands and David Cronenberg really knocked out of the park. Mm-hmm. And then there's like two or three people on the other side of the video the store. The 13th floor! floor! Yeah! <laughs> Nobody talks no. about the Thirteenth Floor anymore, but it was the third movie <laughs> with the same basic premise that came out that year. It's weird. What it was
1: the test audience for the Thirteenth Floor. Like I got you to, were? yeah, I got to see like the rough cut oh of that God. one. Was it different? I, I don't know. I never saw the completed version. <laughs> <laughs> It's not months ahead of the fact.
0: Oh, my God. I saw... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've seen a few of those where, like, the test... I was at the test audience. The hmm. Test audience didn't respond. But then I saw the finished version, and they were just like, mm-hmm, yeah, we added some weird stuff. But, like, <laughs> there we that, really tried to fix this there one. Was, I think it was Carl Urban movie, The Pathfinder, directed by Marcus Nispel. Oh, wasn't that, like, some ancient warrior epic? A Viking a was or. raised... Uh, uh, in, like, you know, pre-colonialist America, and they had to fight off more Vikings, and sounds kind of fun, but it's actually really, really shitty, and all of the things that they added after the screening to address the notes made it, like, 20 times worse, oh, so and like, mad. way dumber, and <laughs> it wasn't that good to begin with, but it got way worse.
1: Do uh, you know, I, uh, and this, this is the part where I get to brag, I was the test audience for Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie. I hate you for this. And I got to see a version that's never been put out on home video before, I, hate you for this. Like, the original cut was much longer. Uh, they, they changed, like, rather than just sort of having these random breaks where they leave the theater, they actually had end reel one. It was mm. like the end of each reel, and there was a different host segment every time they ended a reel. Oh, man. I got to see uh, the, the host segment where they, they punched a hole in the ship, and they were running out of air, and uh, Mike started to die. <laughs> and the only way to save him was to, like, hit the repressurize button, but it was too high for the robots to reach. So uh, it turns out uh, Tom Servo had a rocket underneath his skirt and he could uh, play and he like flew through the air and pushed the button with his head and he saved Mike's life. And then they went back into the theater. It was this whole thing.
0: I'm so mad at that.
1: I had a different ending.
0: I, <laughs> <would> <laughs> to see it really I got to see me. that. It infuriates me. Anyway, right, moving on.
1: Uh, so we, we had three to, left. 2001. We need a little bit more mayhem. We're coming to the end of the summer blockbuster season. So we're getting in, into a little bit more junk again. So, uh, I'm going to choose big monster film. Okay. Big junky monster film, my favorite monster film. Destroy all monsters. Got to get Godzilla in there. Okay, uh, Godzilla and every monster. Godzilla uh, destroy all monsters is the ultimate Godzilla monster mash. Uh, they brought back pretty all, much all the monsters, uh, all that the monsters, that monsters had in and the including other monsters that Toho was using in other movies that hadn't yeah. met Godzilla previously. Basically,
0: if we have the costume in the warehouse, throw it in. Destroy all monsters.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they did that again with Godzilla Final Wars, which isn't as good as what, Destroy All what Monsters. Was, what was
0: what was the basic plot of Destroy All Monsters, besides Destroy All Monsters? Like, what was the um, gist of it? What was the excuse? Well,
1: uh, the previous film was uh, uh, Godzilla and Rodan versus King Ghidorah. Mm. And another they, big monster another mash. Another big yeah. monster mash. And they cut, sort of teamed up, and they beat up Team Ghidorah. Uh, King, Team, Team Ghidorah? Ghidorah. <laughs> Team Ghidorah! Team Ghidorah's blasting off again! <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the next Godzilla movie. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of humans who are trying to construct a Mecha Gidra. I don't
0: know. I suspect that's actually where they were going after the end of Godzilla: King of the Monsters. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, with that uh, big end credit sequence.
1: But uh, King Ghidorah is back, and King Ghidorah is such a badass. They have to make sure he's really dead this time. So all the monsters team up: spiders and justify Gidra. Justify Gidra.
0: Gidra is a badass.
1: Oh yeah. King Ghidorah yeah. Ge- is like the supervillain of the Godzilla universe. you yeah, taken on all those it's monsters. A, it's a, go- a golden three-headed Hydra from space. Of course, they the, need the, a lot. Oh, I'm
0: sorry. Excuse the hell me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I hate that the filmmakers say, "Yeah, we're gonna make a Godzilla, but it's, we're gonna make it really, real, really realistic." You have golden hydras from space. Okay. Hang on, don't There's, make it realistic. Hang on, hang on.
0: Here's the th- you got to admit there are mm. there are different versions of Godzilla. There's mm. the original potent metaphor for nuclear annihilation.
1: Mm. By the time he was fighting, God, fight, fighting King Kong, I was kind of out the window. I, I'm just but saying, yeah. there are two different ones. <laughs> just like there are two
0: different James Bonds. There's one that's actually kind of a real spy, and then there's invisible car James Bond. Mm. There's two different ones, and I think they're both valid. Okay. I'm not going to fight them for wanting to do yeah. a serious Godzilla. That's not the end of the world. Although it would be a Godzilla attack. All right, moving on. Destroy so, all monsters. Destroy all monsters. It's fun, and, monsters. There's a lot of it's fun monsters. and
1: there's a lot of monsters in it. Uh, and by the time we're into August, you're getting into like the weird culty stuff, the things nobody talks about. Your thirteenth floors, if you will. Mm. Uh, so, I get to construct it. This is my summer blockbuster season. I'm winding down in August with Repo Man because uh, I love Repo Man. God. You need a music you know, film. That, you need that something blockbuster. that blockbuster.
0: Well,
1: <laughs> you know, it, it was it was a blockbuster the second time around. It came out, it tanked but the soundtrack was such a big hit that they brought the movie back and only then did it become successful okay and to this I still day, don't know
0: if it's a blockbuster and air quotes, but this okay. is
1: my summer blockbuster season. I know. And Repo Man's a blockbuster in my mind. Okay.
0: Well if we listen, if words just mean anything now, we can yeah. we can do whatever
1: we want. Uh, and you know, this is gonna be one of those films that's really divisive, only a certain number of people like it. A lot of people are gonna say, Oh, this I heard that one was pretty good, they're gonna see it and they say, Well, that was a piece of shit. It was all <laughs> what's this weird alien thing, all these punk rock characters. I don't get it. Yeah, and no, like, those are t-
0: ordinary and, people. And then man. yeah,
1: <laughs> ordinary fucking can't fucking stand ordinary people. It's a quote um, from the movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, but there's going to be ten percent of the audience that's going to walk away with completely falling in love and listening to the soundtrack over no matter you, whether or not you liked the movie, you're going to buy the soundtrack record.
0: Oh, yeah,
1: it's like that '98 Godzilla. Nobody liked the movie, but everybody bought that soundtrack record. I didn't buy it was it. a big hit. Well, it was in a lot of
0: collections. I, I heard it all over the place. Like yeah. it was, I couldn't it was, it was big. The,
1: the soundtrack was in a way bigger than the movie. Yeah. And uh, by the time we're, and this is my last, tenth, and final film, by the oh. time we're kind of winding down to the end of the walkbuster season, we're in mid August, it's nothing but shit. Uh, we're gonna go see these movies because we know they're shit. So why not put the king of shit? It's Plan Nine from Outer Space, right there at the very tail. End. <laughs> yeah, that blockbuster. Okay. So I got White House Down, Seven Samurai, Lagon, Twelve Angry Men, Rumble in the Bronx, Basket Case Two, Two Thousand One: Space Odyssey, Destroy All Monsters, Repo Man, and Plan Nine from Outer here's Space. Here's what I will say about that's a good solid blockbuster series. Here's
0: what I'll say about Plan Nine from Outer mm-hmm. Space, which if you've never seen it, it is considered Edward D. Woods Jr. Edward D. Wood Jr.'s magnum opus. Mm. It's
1: is, all. It's often been called one of the worst movies of all time. Uh, a title I can't really argue with. You no, know, when you
0: watch it, you you often hear that like ascribed to a movie, and then you watch it. and I'm like, eh, it's not that bad. Yeah. And then you watch Planet of from Outer Space, and you're just like, no, this is really bad. But it's bad in a very particular way. It's bad. It's, it's bad yeah. in a way that's almost poetry. Like the way yeah, the, the, that the dialogue is weirdly circular. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's just a bizarre future, watch.
1: Future events. Uh, future events like such these, these will affect, affect you. you in the future. Yeah. It,
0: weird, right? <laughs> And listen, I, I, I have a lot of affection for this weird, terrible movie. It is weird and terrible, but mm-hmm. here's what I will say for it. Um if Edwood if Ed Wood had done if this movie had turned out the way Ed Wood wanted it to, it mm. would have been a summer blockbuster. Because yeah. it's about alien invasions and the aliens decide to raise the dead in order to conquer the planet. That's a big fucking movie. Mm. That he did not actually make, but he got the ideas down in this really ultra cheap cardboard tombstone. Hmm. Uh, uh, we're gonna throw some curtains on the wall and pretend that's a spaceship kind of movie. And to I'm be gonna... fair, there's a lot of summer blockbusters every year would be summer blockbusters that are shit. Yeah. So if you're gonna well, pick, yeah. if you're gonna throw in like, and I think it's fair to throw in. A shitty one. I didn't, but I think it's fair yeah. to throw that in. Mm. You could throw in the Adventures of Pluto and Nash or something in there, like some just big, a movie, messy, a ambitious. A movie I'm, I'm n-
1: kind of fond of, but, uh, yeah. but like it's
0: it's big, messy, ambitious, and it did not work, and it did, mm. wasn't successful. And boy, does that describe Plan Nine from Outer Space? So I, I'm not gonna fight you on this.
1: I'd love to see the Dennis Villeneuve version, oh, like that'd be like great. remake Plan Nine and without any like irony. Like they've done like yeah. Plan Ten from Outer Space. Yeah, some people have done like gags, can, yeah. campy send-ups of Plan yeah. Nine. Do a straight remake of Plan 9. See what you can do with that. Fair enough. Um, All right, moving on. That's Uh, that's my summer blockbuster season. That's the summer
0: blockbuster season. So again, I went a little bit more conventional here. I wanted to make sure that all of the films on my list were officially released during the summer in America and were, at the time blockbusters on one level or another some made more money than others some were gigantic smashes some just made money Hmm. but they were all intended to be big summer movies and they go uh, from the 1970s uh, through the 2010s okay so I wanted to uh, follow what was because before then the blockbuster movie season we didn't summer wasn't summer The way that it is now. And it's really only films like Jaws and the later Star Wars that really solidified summer as a very particular season for a very particular kind of movie. Um, So let's just get started. Uh, As I said, I picked two films that came out in the month of May. And I decided that only films that could come in in the month of May would be part of my first two films. And I decided, how do we start the summer movie season off right? Well, Mm. it's a summer movie season. We want this to be special. We want to start off with something that is big and spectacular and crazy and unlike anything else that we've seen all year. We want to get this off with a big showcase of technical wizardry and we want it to be pure escapist entertainment. So I chose Speed Racer. Okay, Speed Racer is, of course, one of the most wonderful uh, blockbusters ever made, even though it didn't make money. Uh, it is based on the uh, anime series about uh, a teenage boy who wants to become the greatest racer in the world, but he lives in this world where everything revolves around racing. And his, race- name,
1: that's his, his name is Speed Racer. Yeah, his
0: last name is Racer and his first name is Speed. Mm. And uh, he's lives in a world where everything revolves around racing and the races are like Mario Kart, except there are like buzzsaws in the cars and shit. So mm-hmm. it's this ax. It's an acid trip version of Mad Max Fury Road, basically, but <laughs> it's also very fun and family friendly. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most enjoyably escapist movies that we've got. And I think there aren't a lot of, Summer blockbusters that really are as escapist as we think they are, because there's often underpinnings That's, that it's... make them more serious or uh, mm. deny—not uh, uh, deny—that um, defy mm. uh, the ability to completely step out of ourselves and just enjoy. The madness. And I think Speed Racer is one of the films yeah. that it openly defies that as much as a movie can.
1: it's, a very and it's just biz- trying to be fun. It's a very bizarre film. I yes. think that it's weirdness gives it its edge. Yeah. It is like... It, it, it's so – it's not a – I don't – cartoony isn't even accurate. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's not a, a cartoon.
0: It's a hallucination. Yeah. Right, and right. it's a really wonderful hallucination and so, yeah. um, it, it plays wonderfully. So to kick off with the
1: mushroom trip. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. I saved I say 2001 for the middle, but you yeah, wanted yeah. to just start there. Well, but.
0: again, I, I wanted to start off with fun, just pure, unadulterated, unapologetic fun. And then I decided that – I think summer blockbuster season – in my experience, Mm -hmm. usually had at least one big sequel that we were anticipating. Okay. Like one movie where we saw the original, the new one's coming, it looks big, it looks Mm -hmm. a little different, we can't wait to see it, and it's got to be a film that actually met our expectations and expanded upon it. Basket Case 2. Basket Case 2 is your version of that. Uh, For me, I chose The Empire Strikes Back. Because, oh, fuck off, you got your <laughs> list full of stuff that doesn't even qualify. i want to pick The Empire Strikes Back. And I think the reason why The Empire Strikes Back is on this list over many other Star Wars movies and many Marvel superhero movies and Terminator 2 and all these big movies. I feel like The Empire Strikes Back was the film that gave us what we wanted, but we didn't know we wanted it yet. Mm-hmm. Because... How do you follow Star Wars? It's kind of a blank canvas. Like, what do you do? And what they did was they split up all the characters... They took the protagonist and they put him in humiliating situations with, like, a a Jedi who could have been out there saving the world, but instead decided to go into seclusion and uh, then train our hero for a few days. And then they have to run off and get into a big altercation with, you know, the Black Knight with the laser sword and shit. Has a big cliffhanger ending where everything looks like all is in despair. You get a whole bunch of new environments. You get more love stories. And it's just not the template it's not just doing star wars again but it does still feel like star wars Hmm. and so i think it is one of the ultimate movie sequels
1: all right you can have you can have damn right i'll take it it's fine i also wanted
0: one reboot (laughs) <laughs> okay and i think that's because i think that's fun like okay mm. so there's there's this old franchise or this old character and we really love them but we want to do it in a slightly different way for the contemporary audiences and we want to have a movie that is really really good i also wanted after two giant visual effects spectacular to bring it down a little bit all right okay so a movie that's sort of a counter programming mm. and so i picked john singleton's shaft
1: Don, specifically John Singleton's Specifically John Shaft,
0: Singleton's Shaft. I think John Singleton's Shaft is really underrated. Mm. Um, the Shaft films of the 1970s, I've only seen the first one, but you've seen them all, mm. are these really uh, uh, intense, politically-minded, um, heroic hero stories, starring The Great Richard Roundtree, Uh, But when John Singleton got to it and he cast Samuel L. Jackson, he wanted to do a summer movie. And it was a summer movie. It was a summer blockbuster. It was pitched as this big action movie. But he never let it, like, be escapist. Mm. And even though Samuel L. Jackson gets to, like, be, you know tough and sexy and there's a scene where he gets so mad at the man that like he like literally throws his police shield at the wall and it he's sticks like, at a, like like a, a ninja star like yeah. it's fucking awesome but he's doing that because the, the whole movie uh is about systemic racism and it's about Christian Bale as this bad guy who kills someone specifically because he's a racist and he gets through the system because he's rich and white and Samuel L. Jackson ends up like quitting the force, tracking him down, and it's actually like it's about stuff, like it actually cares about the world that actually spawns a character like Shaft hmm. to become this kind of larger than life awesome figure. Um, and I like that story, I like the story where, like, here's a larger than life character in some ways, but the reason we need that larger than life character is because the real world sucks <laughs> and the real world g- is genuinely presented in to an extent. I mean, it's a movie, but like. It's, it doesn't shy away from it the way a lot of other summer blockbusters do. And on top of it all, it's slick. Samuel L. Jackson was I don't think he was ever a better leading man. He's always been a great supporting actor, but like mm. as a lead, I think this is maybe his mm. most charismatic...
1: Bat- What's a better lead performance? Cave Man's Valentine. Casey Lemon's Caveman's Valentine. He's really good in that movie. Okay, fair enough. Actually, I should have seen that one. He's schizophrenic. He's, He's really, made really so many movies, I missed that one. Fair enough. I don't like Black Snake Moan as well. I would take Shaft over Black Snake Moan but okay I would
0: take Shaft over Black Snake Moan but I haven't seen Caveman's Valentine so I can't speak to that right. one. But in any case Shaft I think is really underrated and as a sort of mid-level action movie with like a lot on its mind, you know, kind of a good counter programming for summer season, I think it's great. Here's the problem with my summer movie season. We don't have anything for kids. Oh, like, Street Racer is a f- kind of fun for the whole family, but we need a kids movie and that's something you didn't have.
1: Uh, mm plan nine.
0: <laughs> Godzilla. You had no movies that were specifically mm-hmm. for kids and I think I that's something that. where I that, wanted to have at least two. <laughs> I wanted to have a couple of movies that are specifically catering to younger kids. Mm-hmm. And I think uh the first one I have is a movie that is for younger kids, but it is designed in such a way that uh, the parents will get just as much out of it. It's a visual aspect spectacular. It is Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
1: <laughs> you think that one's for kids? I, it's only for
0: kids. I was a kid when I saw that movie. Yeah, the uh, jokes uh, that go whoops, over your yeah. there's a lot of jokes that go over your head, but there's also a lot of jokes that are just cartoons, doing cartoon things. And it's one of those great kids movies that as you grow up, it grows up with you. Mm-hmm. And you appreciate the various layers of it more and more as time goes on. So it's a story about... Old time Hollywood, golden age of Hollywood, but the cartoons that are in all of the various shorts that play before movies are actual actors who have their own part of town and they have their own contract with the studios. Bob Hoskins plays a private detective who uh, has to prove that Roger Rabbit, this Bugs Bunny type character, Mm. his wife is cheating on him and it leads to murder. (laughs) And he is, it's a wonderful film. It's wonderful. It's kind of dark, but not like so dark it's unpleasant. Yeah. But they find a really, really great balance. It was at a time when it was really nearly impossible to see Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny like on screen together. Mm. And they get like a whole funny sequence here. And you get mm. that wonderful dueling pianos thing with Daffy and Donald. Mm. It's wonderful. It still plays really, really great. And I think it's fun for the whole family. Uh, next up, the only superhero movie. Okay, I, okay. I agonized over this. I wanted to pick <laughs> one superhero movie. And I wanted to pick one superhero Blank movie.
1: Man. It was Blank Man, wasn't it?
0: No, okay. I want to pick one superhero movie that I think is a satisfying summer blockbuster, but also feels kind of different. And so I picked Wonder Woman, Wonder. which, as we've recently discussed on another podcast, kind of runs into problems in the third act. But I think Wonder Woman feels more overtly heroic than mm. most other superhero movies. I think a lot well, of superhero I movies are it- about subverting... Or, or kind of
1: exploring like the the it's more about fame than heroism um, it's not a lot of them are yeah um, and I think Wonder Woman felt refreshing because it was going back to uh, heroism that we saw in movies like from 15 years previous yeah and sort of fell away when superheroes became like big business yeah yeah I was thinking there was the two I
0: was debating between were The Rocketeer and Wonder Woman. And I decided okay, yeah. to go with Wonder Woman. Uh, one because I wanted there to be a movie for everyone mm. and, and I think Elkadote is a you know wonderful lead and I think well, Patty Rock- Jenkins directed the hell out of it. Rocketeer's not for everyone? I we, there's a lot of movies with dude heroes on my list. Oh well, that's true. All okay, right. so mm-hmm. think about it. Um but uh, So so we got that aspect as well. Um, it's a fun historical epic. That it's actually got, because one thing I don't have a lot of on my list is romance. Okay. And I actually think Gal Gadot and Chris Pine have really wonderful chemistry in this movie. Hmm. Um, and also the uh, No Man's Land sequence is one of the most rousing, sort of well-earned action movie sequences in any superhero movie. And that's something that I think every summer movie should have. Like one big giant rousing hmm. hurrah Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's kind of fumbles in the end when it turns into a CGI free-for-all, but for the most part, I think Wonder Woman is one of the better superhero movies out there, and I think it's a kind of a perfect summer movie. All right. Uh, now, I wanted a July 4th movie, <laughs> but I almost picked White House down. Oh, But then okay. I realized that the, it's so obvious that you kind of have to put it on the list. Uh, it's got to be Jaws. Okay. On one That's hand, nice. it's a horror movie. On the yeah. other yeah. hand, it is a salient conversation about yeah, uh, how capitalism... Do, okay. Is is basically killing America mm. uh, And it's also a wonderful adventure It's also a really fantastic character study uh, Jaws is everything There's a reason Jaws was the first conventional blockbuster That we have And that it opened everywhere wide And everyone in America saw it at the same time Again, there's something for everyone in here It's horrifying, it's also funny It's adventurous, it's also dead serious And Yeah, and it's about the 4th of July weekend It is about America It is about summer and how we sort of value this sort of period in our country where, yeah, everyone's on vacation and we all make a lot of tourism money and, and it's all great, right? What if there's something that would kill you if you had the entertainment? We don't care. Come to our movie theater. We promise we'll disinfect it. Like, it, that's basically what they're talking about. Mm. And it still works today. It still plays great today. It's awesome. Now, Broad comedy. You got to have a broad comedy mm. you got to have one comedy that is just so funny it doesn't matter that it's silly and doesn't offer conventional thrills in some way and it's one of the greatest comedies of all time it came out in the summer season what could I pick but airplane
1: oh it was a summer movie
0: Airplane Airplane right. was a summer movie Airplane was a summer movie and Airplane is one of the funniest movies of all time it's no a, argument here it is a parody of a genre that doesn't really exist anymore but there was a huge blockbuster genre in the 70s in particular that was all about airport disasters in fact they those, were called airport
1: those airport movies were huge. huge and there were a bunch of sequels too and nobody talks about them. the first one no. was nominated
0: for a bunch of Oscars I think it won a few didn't George Kennedy win Best Supporting Actor or something for Did that he for for, for airport? I thought he did. Look that up. Oh, um yeah. but uh yeah, these were giant big budget, you know, epic movies and they eventually fell out of favor and by the time Airplane came around they were perfect mm. fodder for parody. But Airplane is just one of the perfect comedies it is mm. just joke after joke after joke and a shocking number of them land and the ones that don't land still put a smile on your face because they're very silly yeah, yeah um it is just a crowd pleaser from top to bottom there are some adult jokes in there but kids uh, won't get them
1: i sure as hell didn't helen hayes was supported for best support or was nominated for best supporting actress but she from didn't airport write. but she did not okay leave.
0: i was wrong uh george kennedy wasn't nominated
1: uh no
0: Okay, yeah, I, remember, I remember that wrong. Mm. Glad that didn't come up on the schmodown. Um, so, any airplane, comedy, classic, summer movie, you got to do it. Mm.
1: You brought oh, up- excuse me, Helen Hayes won. You win. Okay, not great. Yeah.
0: I knew someone won for this thing.
1: Yeah. Um- it was nominated, uh, Supporting Actress for Maureen Stapleton, Art mm-hmm. Direction, Cinematography, Costume Design, Editing, Original Score, and Best Picture, and Best Sound, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, it was a
0: monster. It was this huge thing, Airport. It was huge. Nobody talks about it anymore. Yeah. It's gone. And there were a whole bunch of sequels that did well too. it. Well, Lancaster,
1: thing. Dean, Martin, Gene, Seberg, yeah. Jacqueline, Besset, George Kennedy, Helen Hills and Van Heflin were in that movie. What the fuck? It was Airport 75, Airport 77, and The Concord, Ellipsis airport seventy nine, and that's the one that killed it
0: but like yeah so i think airplane's also good because it like pays homage to this genre of summer blockbuster that has gone bye-bye and we don't talk about it anymore uh next up you said sports movies are important i 100 percent agree all right and i was thinking about like what kind of sports movie could i put on here and i realized that there was one summer sports movie that i loved more than any other sports movie i saw in a blockbuster season and that goes to this day this movie is basically perfect okay I mean, And I say that with actual meaning, I don't really see a meaningful flaw in this movie. Okay. A League of Their Own. Okay. A League it's- of Their Own is just wonderful. Hmm. Absolutely wonderful. Stars a uh, wonderful cast, Gina Davis, Lori Petty, Rosie O'Donnell, Madonna, John Lovitz, David Strathairn, Gary Marshall, Tom Hanks. And it's all about how in World War II, all the, all the men were off fighting in World War II, and we lost baseball. And baseball was a national pastime. There was a big void to be filled. And so they said, okay, well, what if we start a women's baseball league? And, of course, that was considered kind of controversial at the time. It was considered that a woman's place was in the home. But uh, it was kind of an uphill battle. And it's all about the women of the first uh, women's baseball league. And it's delightful. It's funny. It's full of great characters, wonderful performances. Um Great sports story, uh, great conflict, great everything. Everything about it is really, really wonderful. Um, So, yeah, I just love it. It makes me think of summer. It makes me think of sports in a positive way, which is kind of hard for me to do. Uh, It's been been a long time since
1: I've seen that. It holds up great. I'm I'm sure it does.
0: I, I remember it. Pretty well. Okay, two more, and then I'm out. Hmm. Uh, one more one for the kids. I realized I didn't really have, like, a full-fledged animated movie, and so I wanted an animated movie on here. And when I was looking at a list of all these summer blockbuster animated movies, one stood out as better than literally all hmm. the others, and that is Don Bluth's The Secret of Nim. <laughs> another movie that i would actually argue you're, you're is talking basically about mov- perfect you're
1: talking about movies for kids but these are like dark fucking movies yeah. you're choosing these are the yeah. movies i
0: grew up with as
1: a yeah. kid all right the kid movies for
0: kids don't have to be light they just mm. have to cater to sort of kids interests and right. secret of name is a story about a mother who is taking care of her sick kid and it turns out that she has to move her family because and she's a mouse by the way mm. and uh, there's a plow that's going to come through her valley and they're going to kill all the rodents and so they need to move but she can't move her son because he's gonna die Mm. and so she has to make an allegiance with a society of super intelligent sci-fi rats who also know magic (laughs) and it's dark and it's fascinating Mm -hmm. and it is gorgeous and it is incredibly powerful and moving the score is fantastic it's funny i quote it all the time Um, There really was nothing like it when it came out It was very mature for an animated movie And even today I think it would really If this came out for the first time today It would still be a standout Um, Yeah, Absolute masterpiece of animation Absolute masterpiece of sci-fi fantasy storytelling um, kids will kids will love it, even though it's dark. And like when the owl shows up, they're definitely going to like hide their heads in like their mom's arm or whatever. But they're also
1: going to be all the better for it. So I didn't even uh, think it was an owl when I saw it. As what a did kid. you think it was? Just some monster. It's so creepy yeah. when it like crunches all the bugs. Like, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah.
0: terrifying because it's huge and it's a predator. It's like yeah. it, the mouse is its natural prey. So yeah. putting them together is fundamentally terrifying. And they play it that way, but yeah. in the end, it works out. So they it's an-
1: animated a lot of the characters with like just these big headlight eyes, including yeah. that owl. And yeah, it's just really kind of a spooky style Really creepy All right, and then the last
0: one I just said, okay, fuck it I'm going to put one of my very favorite movies It's a summer blockbuster But it is an unusually intelligent summer blockbuster It is an unusually acidic summer blockbuster It's got all the summer blockbuster thrills The last line in this movie If you ever get to see this in a theater Brings down the fucking house (laughs) Robocop (laughs) Robocop An ultra violent Kind of a superhero story About a cop uh, In the near future When the police Have been privatized And his body Is now property Of a corporation After he dies Mm -hmm. So they turn him Into a cyborg Talk about the
1: 1987 film The original 1987
0: film Obviously I I hope that's obvious (laughs) The original one Is directed by Paul Verhoeven It is a damning indictment Of American culture in every single fucking way. Yeah, Uh, from a he's Dutch, right? He's Dutch. Yeah, Yeah, so he's he's got an outsider's perspective. Um, He is being absolutely merciless to American culture while still making one of the best American action movies ever made. It's absolutely thrilling. It's incredibly intelligent. It is absolutely damning, and it is beautiful. Everything about Mm. this movie is incredible.
1: Uh, except for that one shot of Ronnie Cox falling off of the building, there's this. Pro- <laughs> <Not> the, there's <laughs> there's one, who one, one really bad special effects shot yeah, in this movie. It it's completely bizarre. There's a guy who falls off a building towards the end,
0: and uh, they used they wanted to show him like falling, like free falling, but oh. you couldn't like do that at the time. So what they did was they created a stop-motion sort of model of the person, and it it looks pretty good. You only see it for a couple of seconds, but after you watch it like the second time, you realize his arms are way too long. Yeah, His arms are like the length of his whole body. I I think
1: they were trying to do some sort of forced perspective thing, but it just doesn't work. No,
0: it doesn't. But it's the kind of thing you really only... Properly notice after you've seen it a couple of times because it goes yeah. by pretty quick the first time. But yes, that's right. that's a weird moment. But I actually think this is one of the best action movies ever made, and one of the best sci fi movies no. ever made.
1: I, I can't I can't argue with that. I really yeah. love RoboCop. RoboCop. What I appreciate about a RoboCop is not that it's a good action movie. I appreciate that it's a good satire. Mm. Uh, yes, I, I think it's. But it, I think the
0: best satires work is the thing they're satirizing. Yeah. So it's a satire of American action movies mm. while also being one of the best mm. American action. Movies, but it, I, I find which is, a, you can also say for Starship Troopers.
1: I almost feel a little a little baffled. That people just went to see RoboCop and took it as this sort of straight-up movie about a robot killer monster. It's like, no, this is like a really obvious indictment of American culture. Mm -hmm. And people didn't really read it that way at the time. It wasn't so far
0: removed from American culture that people necessarily noticed it as something different. Like, that's the thing that's brilliant about it. It's actually mm. not that far away from a lot of the movies and a lot of the media that was being consumed at the time. Mm. So when you see these, like, parody TV shows and commercials that show just how far humanity has sunk, mm. um, that that's just what we've got. Like, there's this, like, commercial in there for uh, a... a a board game that's kind of like Battleship, but it's with nuclear warfare called Nukem.
1: Nukem, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's all about like, yo, oh no, diplomatic peace talks have 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 passed. Sorry, son, I gotta press the button. Nukem. And, and you realize like, oh, that's so funny that they're like they're turning nuclear Nukum. proliferation into yeah. a board game. Yeah. Uh, that's isn't that kind of what Battleship already is?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They it's about just, turn, yeah. just turn we just
0: turned naval warfare. Like every time you sunk a battleship, you killed thousands of people. Mm.
1: <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Little kids are murdering people. <laughs>
0: kind of are. Like, and it's, yeah. it's it it because it, that's the thing. It, I remember watching that as a kid, going, "I know it's a joke, but I would play that game."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I played Battleship. The one that really disturbed me was Operation. Operation's creepy. <laughs> Yank organs out of a prone human corpse. If you do it wrong, his nose lights up. Oh God! Kind of weird monstrosity. <laughs> I think that means going you hit on. a
0: nerve, and he's yeah. actually like, doesn't matter how much like how much sedative he's under. He's like,
1: ah! <laughs> there's no anesthesia. Get the butterflies out of his stomach. Horrifying. Um.
0: Anyway, so that's 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 my marathon. Um. We obviously approach this differently. Yeah. Uh, and obviously I am assuming in my summer movie season that there is counter-programming, that there are independents yeah. that are coming out. And I probably should, I, I actually meant to put, I kind of ran out of space, like one like independent movie that became a surprise blockbuster. No. I came this close to putting the Blair Witch Project on there.
1: Or uh, something like my, my Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, that would
0: have been a good one too. But, you know, whatever. I'll, we decided to limit ourselves to 10 just because yeah. it got to stop somewhere. Um, and uh, But that's what we've got So thank mm-hmm. you uh, very much uh, For everybody for listening I want to give a very special thank you to Douglas Brackett For uh, being a patron And for asking us to do this episode We hope you like it um, If anyone wants to do these marathons We'd love to hear from you um, But uh, you know You can also just watch the movies that you like from these Or if you haven't seen some of them This might be a fun opportunity I myself am a fan of all kinds of movies, blockbusters Mm. included, giant, big, dumb, crazy CGI movies, crowd-pleasing family flicks, Mm. the like. And they are gone this year. Like, we have a few that have gone straight to VOD or that ended up on Netflix, but this whole basic wave of giant distractions has been missing. And there's a part of me that is the sort of mature film critic who goes... This is kind of a refreshing change of pace. Mm. But there's also part of me that goes, I wanted to see those movies. I wanted <laughs> to see a new Fast and Furious. Who wouldn't? I want to see a new
1: James Bond. I I want to see them. Even yeah. before I was a professional, I kind of dreaded the summer blockbuster season. Yeah. So that we got a year off was a big relief, quite frankly. Yeah. But there's a, like, I don't want to see Mulan. I don't want to see Black Widow. I, I don't really care about Tenet. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure those films are probably fine. Yeah. But I'm not leaping out of my skin and I don't feel like I'm missing out on something by not seeing. Well that them.
0: that's not why you go mm. to the movies. And I think mm. that's fair to say. We yeah. go to the movies for different reasons and hopefully this season as much as it sucks that a lot of those movies didn't come out and the, this is going to be a season where we had a lot more films directed by women mm. uh, in the blockbuster uh, landscape and it really really sucks that some of them won't get to go to theaters and actually have that opportunity to change well, the way the industry works.
1: But well here's the thing. They, they're still getting noticed. They're still getting noticed, but so it's they're, different. They're still going to get work out of this. I, is my point. That's,
0: okay, I hope so. Yeah. But let's be fair here. If you don't make a billion dollars at the box mm. office, it has a different impact.
1: Yeah, but there's so, there's always the excuse. Oh, that one made. But that one's the outlier. If they made it and it didn't make any money because of special circumstances, I think those directors actually have a better shot of getting more work out of
0: this. Look, I don't know. I don't know the speculation. Mm. What I do know is that this was a summer that had an opportunity to change the whole paradigm, and mm. it did, but not in the way that anyone wanted it to. Yeah, right. So. Anyway, there's some silver lining here, but I do miss a lot of these movies. And hopefully these films, whether they are bona fide summer blockbusters or in the spirit thereof, and in Whitney's mind they should be summer blockbusters, Mm. they can help scratch that itch. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you again to all of our patrons. Uh, And uh, this has been your Critically Acclaimed. You can email us at letters at net. We want to talk about anything we discussed on this podcast or any of our other podcasts or just any old thing mm-hmm. and we might read your email in a future episode of we've got mail we are on twitter at critic acclaim i am at william bibiani i'm at whitney seibold and uh thank you everybody once again we hope uh you know before the summer season is over you're able to get some kind of rest relaxation entertainment in um It's been a weird fucking year And I don't blame you at all If Mm. you just want to slump down in your easy chair And and watch something fun
1: Marathon these movies we suggested to you So uh,
0: again We we thank you all We care about you all And uh, we want you all to watch really good movies So thank you again And uh, goodbye